I have the privilege of serving on a all-boys governing body. And I was asked the question of uh, at what point will we open our doors uh, to young ladies who identify as males? And as a governing body of the school, we are uh, not quite prepared on the front foot to deal with that. Uh, obviously, we're in this series that we're looking in 1 Corinthians, and I started off this series by saying, I don't know how you are finding it, but as a follower of Christ, uh, days are getting harder to, uh, to kind of mix with the culture of today in society, uh, to, to be able to carry something of the kingdom of God in our hearts and the design of God in our hearts and the life that He gives us, what, what we believe to be life-giving decisions, helpful decisions, seem to be increasingly at odds with the decisions that the majority of culture is making. And so where does that leave us as Christ followers? And then where does that leave us as the church of Jesus? And bring it down a little bit more, where does it leave us as Anthem today as we go about our work and life in Durban? And so as pastors, we, uh, we really wanted to help us handle uh, this and become better at it because we do believe that uh, our Father in heaven, he, as, he, as Jesus, uh, as He prayed and, and taught us, He says it's, it's not that we get taken out of the world, but that we are equipped and empowered by the Spirit of God to live in this world and show something of a good God and hopefully that others would come to know salvation in Jesus Christ. And so this letter that we are, have been spending, this is the fourth week and we'll end it next week in, for five weeks, as we've been looking at this letter that Paul writes to a church in Corinth, uh, and it's, it's his first letter, and, and hence called 1 Corinthians, and, and he addresses five significant issues that the church are busy dealing with in that day. And so we have looked at uh, this church that had found itself caught in the crosshairs of division, and he says, no, 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 unity is the better way. And then he, he has also, he was speaking into the context, they had found that in the Corinthian church, uh, people were battling within the church, not, not just in the culture at large, but within the church, they were battling with sexual integrity. And so Paul was saying, hey, listen, guys, there is a better way. There is a, is a way of holiness which looks like something. You can make better decisions for yourselves around sexual integrity. And then there was, uh, he was using uh, the context of food and drink, as Jack's ministered last week, but just about, hey, listen, there's this thing called idolatry, and, and, and really that's anything that has higher place in our lives than God himself. And can we lay all of that down and root ourselves in the love of God and all actions come from the love of God? Today, we're going to be just looking at, uh, at what it means to, uh, to live a life for the sake of others. And just some things that had started to creep into the church that Paul was addressing. And next week we're going to close out as Paul addresses what does life look like because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we're in this today because we can no longer ignore it. And as we read this letter to the Corinthian church, we realize that actually our church today, where we are today, there are many similarities. And so it is not this some letter that was written, let's call it 2,000 years ago, round number. Uh, it, it wasn't a letter just written 2,000 years ago that has no real time uh, application for us today. 
Corinth was a port city like Durban is. It had many cultures and, and nationalities living within the city, as do we. It had many languages, and he addresses languages today in, in what we're going to be looking at. Uh, he addresses the multi-language thing, as we have in Durban, and how so often we just gather around particular languages because that's our comfort zone, but it doesn't necessarily serve the collective being, the collective church. And so what Paul addresses, we can take for us today. We need to be able to try to find common ground with everybody so that some may come to know this Jesus that many of us in this room have come to know. If we thought that uh, reaching our post-Christian culture, because that's what we are, post-Christian, uh, if it scares us, uh, we must remember that it is not up to us to save people. And Paul reminds us of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and it's a great starting point. We're going to be in chapters 11 to 14 today, but it's a great starting point for us. He says, I planted the seed and Apollos watered it, but it is God who's been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. And the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor, for we are God's co-workers you are God's field. And so our responsibility is less about making people grow, but rather about creating environments, creating a culture where people are able to encounter Jesus Christ. That's why we are not a church which lives in a black and white, where we live in black and white around salvation, but where people, we're prepared to meet people where they are with the struggles that they're presently facing or their worldviews, and our desire is to keep the conversation going. John preached two weeks ago, and he says, long-form communication. Too often we want to say, this is the way it is, and if you cannot get across the line, well, then our, our relationship terminates or the conversation terminates. No, the idea is that we are able to keep creating environments and culture and keep having people sit in that environment and engage in that environment, and at one point in time, they will come to know this beautiful Jesus that we were singing about today. And so we want to be culture creators, not culture reactors. We don't want to always be those people on the back foot reacting to everything and reacting to a culture uh, in, in society at large that is foreign to us because we're a people of another kingdom. And so our responsibility is to keep creating the culture of the coming kingdom so that people can look upon it, people that do not know Jesus, where this, this kingdom culture is foreign to them, and they're able to say, hold on, your life seems to be going well. You seem to be able to have a disposition of health and joy in spite of all the circumstances around us. Yes, because I'm a part of a kingdom that is eternal. And so how do we keep putting those blocks in place? How do we keep creating that culture for everybody to have access to? It takes a new kind of Christian to live and minister in the mess of Corinth. And it takes a new kind of Christian to live and minister in the place and in the mess of Durban. One Corinthians chapter one verses one to two says this: Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be His holy people, together with all those everywhere, 
who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. And so again, I present today the scriptures written to Corinth and to all of us everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus. That is why we can listen today. And what Paul does in chapters 11 to 14 is he addresses specifically this thing of the church in their gathered space. So pretty much like today. This is not the only form the church gathers in, but it is a predominant form that we gather in. And so he's addressing this gathering because what was taking place in Corinth at the time was uh, to understand the context. It wasn't a few hundred people in a room. Uh, a lot of them were, were kind of more house churches. So uh, let's call it 10 to 20 to maybe 30 people in a house. And what was taking place was somebody would come forward with a prophetic word, but while they're going, someone else thought they had a prophetic word that was better than that. And so they would just shout out over that person. And then somebody would start singing because they wanted to shut up both the prophets. And then while someone's singing, somebody thought that they had a teaching because we all want to give our teaching and our latest revelation of Jesus from the scriptures. And so somebody started speaking. And when that got on a little bit along, somebody else just jumped in and decided to give theirs. And there was just no order in the gathered church. And Paul's like, whoa, 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 guys, I'm so grateful you're all hearing from God. I'm so grateful you've all got a song in your heart. I'm so grateful that you have revelation from the scriptures. That's all good. But the way you are acting together is not helpful. Can I just put some things in place so that we can be helpful in our gathered space? As a church, this is what he does. And so, Paul is saying that, uh, and he addresses people, and he says, you guys are all wanting, there's, there's a moment where people are talking in tongues, and, uh, which is a heavenly language, and we'll get to that a little bit later, but, uh, but it's not, we don't understand that language. And so when people are praying in tongues in a corporate gathered space, we know that God is present, but we don't know what he's saying unless there's someone to interpret. And so there's this moment going, and Paul is trying to say to him, listen, guys, I'm a big fan of powerful experiences and prayer and worship, but when it distracts or freaks other people out, can we just stop it? Can we prefer others? rather than our own spiritual experiences. This is the essence, and we're going to get into it. And so there's three problems that, uh, that Paul is addressing in this Corinthian church in these chapters, 11 to 14. It seems like he's been, well, I mean, he's best pretty much been addressing problems since chapter 1 as we've gone through division and unity and sexual integrity uh, and food sacrifice to idols, etc., etc. But today there's three predominant things that he addresses. So we're going to look at the problems we're going to look at some of the culture, the desired cultural environment uh, that we would like to have, and then we're going to look at the gospel responses and how we can become that. Is that okay? So that's, I'm, I'm a systematic kind of guy, and so I like to have the structure and the order. Uh, I know it's not great storytelling to have the outline of the story first. I, I, I keep getting told that by all the storytellers amongst us, but I'm the one with the microphone, and so I'm telling us this is the structure. And this is what you can expect. We're going to know some problems. We're going to find some desired cultures that we want to, envir environments that we want to create. And then we're going to know how we're going to do it by the gospel response, how the gospel changes us and transforms us. All right? First one. We start. We just kind of warm up into it and ease in. Men versus women. Paul goes straight there. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 from verses 3 to 16, 
Uh, I'm not going to bring up the whole text on the screen because you'll just be reading pretty much all day. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to bold chapter, uh, verses 10 to 12, but, but here's the context. And some of you that will know this letter, uh, I'm going to paraphrase it, but there, there seems to be this tussle between men and women and, and who's the head of the home. And there seems to be some women that are rising up and saying, I'm not going to submit to the head of the home. And then there's men trying to force themselves over. And so Paul is kind of addressing this and he's saying, hey, listen, guys, Listen, listen, uh, you guys, you, you think there's male headship and there's a bit of an argument for it in terms of the created order, but uh, let's also just look at something of the future uh, and, and as he writes the, to the letter in Galatians, to the Galatian church, and he kind of references it here, he says, yeah, but, but the eternal uh, thing is that actually Christ is the head and we're all the bride, and so are we, are we still going to have headship when it comes to that moment of our eternal reality. And so we're somewhere in between Genesis and Revelation. We're, we're in that. And so how do we grapple with all of that? He says, but this, and then he, and, and so he's trying to calm down the argument and bring sense. And then he says this, don't, by the way, read too much into the differences here between men and women. Neither man nor woman can go it alone or claim priority. The first woman came from man, true. But ever since then, every man comes from a woman. And since virtually everything comes from God anyway, let's quit going through these who's first routines. This is the message version, and so it's Eugene Peterson who's translated the scriptures. It's why the language may sound a little bit uh, not familiar to you uh, if you don't read the message translation. But uh, I, I chose it because I just like the way that he put it here. It's the essence of what Paul is saying, whether you read it in the ESV or the NIV, it doesn't really matter. Uh, this is what he's saying. He's saying, guys, listen, we've all got our opinions on things. But let's just remember that men and women, we cannot go it alone. So can we just stop fighting? And by the way, Christ is the head of the church. And so can we all just surrender to Jesus? Can we just stop it? And can we stop fighting for who's first in the midst of this? And so he's addressing this problem. And so our desired cultural environment here at Anthem is the coming kingdom of God. That's the desired cultural environment, the coming kingdom. Why do I say that? Well, I think often we, 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 we look back to uh, the created uh, order, but there's very... It, it's it's quite hard to make a whole life theology from Genesis 1 and 2 because Genesis 3 comes along where sin enters into the world and immediately there the curse is that men and women are going to tussle together. And so what we rather look at is Jesus has come to save us and, uh, and we are not here to kind of redeem all of culture presently. We're here to represent a whole other culture, the kingdom of God. And so as a gathered people, we're not to just reform and reflect a culture that's outside of us in our gathered state. We are to be something wholly other. And so what does the coming kingdom look like? Well, we read in Galatians that there'll be neither Jew nor Gentile, neither male nor female, neither slave nor free. And he's not saying that there won't be actual male and female because Jesus res was resurrected in bodily form as a male. So he's not saying that we're going to be some kind of neutered version of ourselves. 
there's going to be male and female. What he's, what he's saying is there's not a hierarchy here amongst Jews and Gentiles and male and female and slave and free. That's the eternal reality. That's what we have coming for us. And therefore, as believers and followers of Jesus, our responsibility is to pull towards this coming kingdom. Our life is not dictated to, to, uh, by, by our pasts. It's dictated to by a coming kingdom that we just keep saying, God, what does it look like? And can I keep reflecting that in our story? And so the trajectory, we've got to look at the trajectory. And, and, and if, we, if we want to make an argument in terms of Jesus and what did he do? He had 12 male disciples. Yes, so let's understand something of the context. Did Jesus pull against the culture of the day? Did he try to advance the role of women in society? The answer is yes. So we go back into the Old Testament and the beginning of the Old Testament and we read much of the patriarchal society and again as a result of the curse. And so patriarchal society uh, deems that men are going to be the leaders and men are going to be the kings and men are going to be the priests. And so we have that kind of throughout the whole Old Testament where Jesus comes and Jesus starts to invite women into his space. So remember, in, in the Old Testament temple, men only could go into the temple. There was a separate court of women. Jesus says, okay, I've got 12 male disciples, because maybe if I have some female disciples right now in amongst my closer 12, that might be just a step too far for anyone to embrace. But there are women that are part of my story and my entourage. And so Jesus starts to pull against the culture and starts to empower women. And we have to read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament and the trajectory that Jesus was pulling along and the trajectory of which the authors, the New Testament authors, were pulling along. Are you following me? And so in the Old Testament, we had the divorce laws that worked in favor of the husband. You read the divorce laws of the Old Testament. The husband could do no wrong and the woman did everything wrong. What does Jesus do? He comes and strengthens the law against divorce and he highlights the male responsibility in adultery. Going so far as just saying if you just look at a woman lustfully with your eyes. So Jesus starts to pull against this. He says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, you've made woman the fall person in Old Testament, but in the New Testament, this is my story now, is actually divorce is still not the desired outcome, but actually there's equal male and female part in the story. It's not just male win, female lose. And then he starts to move it again uh, forward, and, and then we see in, at Pentecost, the prophetic spirit was poured out on men and women. If God desired that only men were to be in the temple and only men were to lead and only men were to rule, why be so cruel as to pour the Spirit of God? Why, why, why empower women with a heavenly story if they're to be restricted and limited? And so we, we see the Spirit of God is poured out on men and women and then we see the end. So this big word eschatologically, that, that basically just means the end times. Uh, which means when the coming kingdom is fully is fully here, there's neither male nor female. And so if we look at the trajectory of humanity as by the, led by Jesus and the Spirit of God, we see where we're heading. 
And so Paul is bringing this in and he's saying, you men and women, you're fighting in the church, in this gathered space, in this community. Guys, listen, Christ is the head. Let's stop fighting with one another. Let's stop trying to fight for headship. The Spirit of God has come upon some for leadership. And the Spirit of God does that in both male and female. Can we have our eyes open to recognize that? Can we be a coming kingdom community, not just a community reacting to common day society? It's a very different motive. It may look the same, but it's a very different motivation. You with me? Problem number two. Competition. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 to 19. Regarding this next item, I am not at all pleased. I am getting the picture that when you meet together, it brings out your worst side instead of your best. First, I get this report on your divisiveness, competing with and criticizing each other. I'm reluctant to believe it, but there it is. I mean, can you... Can you hear, sorry, I read it like that because that's how I think Paul is saying it. I think he's exacerbated, saying, guys, we, we've been saved by Jesus. We have the Spirit of God living in us. How can we now be competitive one another, competing and criticizing each other so that we can have the place of preference? It says the coming kingdom is not about competition. It's about partnership. It's about us being together. And that's why in the Scriptures, while we are here, it's all about partnership in the Gospel. Why are we competing for a place? I don't know if you've been, if you've been around the church for any length of time. Um, I, and I say this with a smile because my only other option is to cry. And so I, I'm, I'm not mocking it because it's a sad reality of it. But have you ever been in a public prayer meeting where someone takes that as their opportunity to pray their sermon? Because they want to be seen to, like, I've got something. We're going to see the gospel response just now, but everybody's got something. Because you are uniquely, we are uniquely and beautifully and fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God, each one of us, and then empowered by the Spirit. Each of us has something. We do not need to compete with one another. And we don't need to criticize one another to have our voice heard. That is not our culture. It's not our culture. We don't have, have you ever heard of the tall poppy syndrome? Um, and, and basically the tall poppy syndrome is, is this, <clears throat> that uh, in a society, if, if anybody starts to uh, get a bit of profile, people want to pull them back. Because people live in a finite world where they think, well, if he's got more profile, it means I've got less. As opposed to us continually growing in God and our stories. We don't serve a finite God, we serve an infinite God. And therefore it's our responsibility, all of us to keep maturing, all of us to keep growing, all of us to keep being more glorious, shining more gloriously. It should be our responsibility, the coming kingdom, that, that culture looks like this. It looks like us celebrating another person getting influence and profile for the sake of God's kingdom. Not pulling people backwards because... We are in competition with one another. And so our desired cultural environment is this. Wells, not fences. Wells, not fences. Dr. Sheila Pritchard tells a story of, a visit, of visiting an Australian outback cattle ranch and was intrigued by the seemingly endless miles of farming country with no sign of any fences. And went to ask the rancher, how, how do you keep track of your cattle? 
And the rancher replied, oh, that's no problem. Out here we dig wells instead of building fences. The implication, I hope, is obvious that there's no need to fence cattle in when they are highly motivated to stay within the range of water, their most important source of life. And so our environment is wells and not fences. Can we keep making our own personal story a well that people want to drink from, not have to keep saying, hey, listen, if you get a little bit closer, or if you take a little bit, a little bit more land, I've got to keep pushing my fence there because there's only so much land and power and influence. And if you come as another worship leader into my story, that means that I've now got to split my time one in five weeks, not one in four weeks. Uh, maybe I don't want you around. Or another preacher, maybe I don't want you around. Because then I'm only in the pulpit once every three weeks. Not, you, you get the story. And I'm using the gathered context and, the, and, the, and these gifts. There's far more gifts than that, and we're going to get into those gifts in a bit. I love this. Paul Hibbert, in his 1978 paper, Conversion, Culture, and Cognitive Categories. Sorry, it's all very academic. But he writes something along the lines of this. That true Christianity is a center, a centered rather than a bounded set. So effectively what he's saying is our Christianity is centered on Christ. It's not bounded by a set of rules. So the Old Testament was bounded by a set of rules. Do, do this, don't do this, do, do this, don't do this. Jesus came, tore the curtain, tore all of that and says, actually just follow me. And so what, what keeps us holy and what keeps us moving towards holiness is that we're centered on Jesus, not a list of rules of do's and don'ts. And so when we come into this environment of competition, I want to drink from your well. Maybe you are sparkling strawberry water. Don't hold that back from me. Please don't buy me sparkling strawberry water. I, I don't, I, <laughs> but the point is we've all got a bit of a flavor that is beautiful for a diet, for, a diet, for our health, and etc. And I'm getting carried away. You, you get it. Wells and not fences. The Bible reports that when Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. The veil was a fence designed as a keep out sign, but Jesus ripping it up shows that the way into the presence of God was open to all. It's open. Number three, problem number three, rich and poor. Paul goes big, eh? Competition, men and women, rich and poor. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 20 to 22, says this, And then I find that you bring your divisions to church and you come together and instead of eating the Lord's Supper, you bring in a lot of food from the outside, but you make pigs of yourselves. Some are left out and go home hungry. Others have to be carried out, too drunk to walk. I can't believe it. Don't you have your own homes to eat and drink in? Why would you stoop to desecrating God's church? Why would you actually shame God's poor? I would never, I never would have believed you would stoop to this. And I'm not going to stand by and say nothing. And so this is a, a famous passage of Scripture in the church. We often quote out of it when we have the communion meal. And so the context of what he's talking about is 
when we come together for the communion meal, we, we must do it together. And, uh, and, and so here, everybody was bringing their part of the meal. But there's rich and poor in the same community, and so some brought more than others. But then the, uh, the, the, those that brought more were sticking together, and they were enjoying their meal while the poor just looked on enviously because they didn't have what the rich guys had. And Paul just addresses and he says, Guys, it was not your wealth that brought your salvation. It was Jesus' gift. And so our desired cultural environment is this, that our value is from our creator, not from our circumstance. And so this is the environment that we are trying to establish here and create here because it is a coming kingdom value. That whether we are rich or poor, Jesus, by His grace and compassion towards us, has given us free life, has given us life. And therefore, everybody has value, not because you were born in the lap of luxury or born into poverty and haven't been able to break the cycle. Or because once you were rich and then lost everything. Or because once you were poor and you've gained everything. It is true that for the people that we work for and our companies and our organizations, our value is, oh, I must write, uh, our value is what we do. And so we do have to do it well. But somehow we've allowed that life or that part of our life to determine the value of our life. Our value is in the fact that God thought it was worth having us here on earth. And he breathed life into you. And so whether you are ashamed or confident or rich or poor or male or female or Greek or Jew, you have value because God said, let there be Jackie, Willem, Fiona, let there be. Circumstances happen to everyone and can happen at any time. We are very fickle if that's where our value is based. So these are the problems in our desired cultural environments. I'm going to go for a few more minutes. So just our gospel response. And so how, how does the gospel transform us so that we're able to create these environments? And so the first, uh, the first uh, issue that the, that the gospel addresses is that everybody is in on it. Everybody gets to be a part of the story. 1 Corinthians 12 Verses 4 to 7, God's various gifts are handed out everywhere, but they all originate in God's Spirit. God's various ministries are carried out everywhere, but they all originate in God's Spirit. God's various expressions of power are in action everywhere, but God Himself is behind it all. Each person is giving something to do that shows who God is. Do you believe it? Everyone gets in on it. Everyone benefits. So here's my encouragement to you today, friends. For those that maybe don't feel like you've got anything to offer, God would beg to differ. You'd say, you're in on it. And the second encouragement is this. If you believe it, please don't hold yourself back. Because everyone benefits when we bring our best into the context. You being the best you, empowered by the Spirit of God, is good and helpful and beautiful. Because God said it would be. 
and thought it was worth creating you. You do not have to fight for your place here in Anthem. We are fighting for you. We want to keep maturing. And just as a baby can't walk, it has legs, but it can't walk. Our desire is that a baby would learn to use its legs, get stronger, and start to walk. And so our desire as Anthem is that we've got some gifts here that are like a baby, and maybe you're not using them yet, but our desire is that you would not remain in that place. Our desire is that you would start to use them. This is personal confession here. I love watching dancers who are, have mastered what they do. Their ability to move their body in sync, in rhythm, with strength and with style is attractive. It's like, that's beautiful to watch. And I think if the church can start to move its body in sync with strength and with style, it becomes very attractive to people that are living in a foreign culture. Everybody's in on it and everyone benefits. So how practically do we help you if you're feeling maybe like you're that baby leg or you're not even sure which part of the baby you are, <laughs> but you want to mature? We got something to... We've got something to help you. Just take your first step. And so if you get onto our Anthem website, anthem.org.za, click on, you'll see a family tab. Click on the family tab. And then you'll see starting point under that. Click on that. And it'll take you to our growth track manual. And part of that growth track manual is a tool which just asks you a bunch of questions. And it starts to help shape you into, oh, this is something that God has gifted me in. Listen, no amount of questions on a piece of paper or digitally can actually determine that. But it helps point you in a direction. Once you've done that, you can sit with one of the pastors, you can sit with one of the life group leaders, you can sit with one of your friends and say, hey, listen, that's what's kind of come out. Have you noticed that in me? How can I help shape this? How can I help present it? How, how can we help use this within the anthem context that we can be a body in sync with strength? And style. Style is very important. Anthem.org.za, family, starting point, growth track manual. That's your link. All right. So everyone has something. Secondly, just within this gospel response uh, of uh, everyone's in on it, is that as a community, we are a new creation. We're not just the sum of individual parts. We are a new creation, the bride of Christ. We are one creation, one new body, all together, not as some of our parts. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 13 says this, By means of his one spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial and our piecemeal lives. We each used to independently call our own shots. But then we entered into a large and integrated life. The old labels we once used to identify ourselves, labels like Jew or Greek or slave or free, they're no longer useful. We need something larger, more comprehensive. This is God's desire for us, that we understand that we are a new creation as a community. I'm going to keep us moving. 
And then just the third point within this, that everybody's got something, everybody's in on it, is that our significance stems from what we are a part of, not of who we are individually. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 19 and 20. But I also want you to think about how this keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. I read this to the teaching team on Wednesday uh, as we were preparing this, and they didn't know I was reading Scripture. And they said, oh, Rich, cheapers, that's a bit hard. Oh, okay. Uh, it's good. I, at least I'm glad that Paul is writing it and Eugene Peterson's interpreting it, and I just get to write it. I, I just get to read out what the Scriptures say. But he's going after it. He's saying, hey, guys, can you take this seriously? Let's not blow up into self-importance, for no matter how significant you are, it is only because of what you are a part of. I love this. An enormous eye or a gigantic hand wouldn't be a body but a monster. I love that. Our desire here in our culture and what we're trying to create is that we're not a platform church. Yes, God gives teachers so that we can be equipped for the sake of the ministry, but this is not Richard and Jackie's church or Richard and Jackie and John and Nix's church. We are a community. I am, a, I am part of Anthem, a partner in the gospel before I am the senior pastor of this church. I am a follower of Jesus before I am a partner in the gospel. I don't want to be a gigantic eye. I don't want to be a monster. So please don't make me that. By the way you treat me or the way you view me. Can we all just appreciate the gifts that God has given and can we all just bring that out so that we can all be tall poppies? Second thing this, that the gospel does is that we're all a part of it. We're, everyone's in on it. But secondly, it's for the sake of others. It's for the sake of others. And this is where I'm going to close it off for us. So 1 Corinthians 14 Verses 12 says this, since you're so eager to participate in what God is doing, let me read from the beginning. It's not going to be all on the screen. So if you speak in a way that no one can understand, what's the point of opening your mouth? There are many languages in the world, and they all mean something to someone. But if I don't understand the language, it's not going to do me much good. And it's no different with you. Since you're so eager to participate in what God is doing, which is a good thing, why don't you concentrate on doing what helps everyone in the church? What Paul is not saying here is don't pursue the gift of tongues and the public speaking of tongues. He's not saying that. But what he is saying is can our focus be on helping everyone rather than on us just expressing for our self-importance? If you give a blessing, this is not on the screen, Shady, so you're not, don't look for it. You're not going to find it. If you give a blessing using your private prayer language, which no one else understands, how can some outsider who's just shown up and who has no idea what's going on uh, when, know when to say amen? Your blessing might be beautiful, but you have very effectively cut that person out of it. For the sake of others, do what is helpful for everyone. There is an order here that we practice in our church. Again, because we're not 20 or 30 in a room, but we're a couple hundred in a room, we desire the gifts. And so if you come here in the gathered space and you have a word, you have a tongue, you have a prophetic song, 
you have a, a, an interpretation. We, we bring that, but we don't just shout it out from where we are because we want to be orderly and helpful. And so we bring it to those that are leading the service because they also have been praying all week for the direction of the service. And so we encourage you to bring it, but we do it in an orderly manner. And so that is our practice. So please do come. Don't think that you don't have permission to release something. But we work with the worship team. We work with the preacher. We work with the pastor that's leading the service. We work with each other so that God can be glorified for the benefit of everybody else. And then lastly, we do what is helpful for everyone in love. 1 Corinthians 13, the famous passage on love. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us toward that consummation. Trust steadily in God. Hope unswervingly. Love extravagantly. And the best of the three is love. Friends, what do we take away from today? Can I ask you to have a commitment to walk in the way of love as you participate in a body that's moving in sync, getting stronger, and getting more stylish so that we can be attractive to a culture that is increasingly at odds, where people are struggling to make sense of life, and we have a coming kingdom that we get to live from today? Will we love others more than we desire to serve ourselves? And can we ask the question of everything we do when we are gathered, is this helpful to the whole, to all of us? Thank you.